Well, welcome. My name is Pastor Mike. If you're visiting with us this morning, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, looking in verse 9 this morning. If you want to make your way there in your Bible or whatever format you're using to get into God's Word. Um, before we start, though, let's pray together. <clears throat> the Father, we come before you. You are the Almighty God. You're holy, holy, holy. You are righteous and just, merciful, faithful. You are the God who provides for us everything that we have, the air we breathe. Father, we come before you as your children. We come before you as maybe individuals who are seeking to know about you. Lord, we wanting to humbly submit to your authority this morning. Father, I pray that you would bless us with your word, not mine, that your spirit would speak to all of our hearts, that you would captivate us by your love for us, and you would correct us if we need correcting. Thank you for allowing us to come into your presence, into the throne room of grace, to meet with you. Lord, to be able to stand or sit in the promise that we are in your presence in this very moment. And so, Father, I pray that you just have your way with us this morning. Change what needs to be changed. Strengthen what needs to be strengthened. We just love you. And let us love you through the studying of your word and continue to worship you through the, the hearing of your word. So let your kingdom come and will be done. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, uh, some of y'all may know, I mean, you may not know, but uh, you'll know now. Um, so I'm, I'm the cooker uh, for the family, and um, it, it, it kind of happened by accident. Um, you know, when I was in college, I would just do whatever I could to find food. A lot of times I was just eating out if I wasn't still at SBU at the, in the dorms. But um, so about the time Abby was about one year old, um, we were living in Illinois, and Jamie was teaching in a school that was about a 30-minute drive. And if you're married to a teacher or aware of teachers, you know the teachers, just because the kids leave at 3 or whenever, that doesn't mean teachers get to leave at 3. Um, and a lot of times, so she would work late and, and um, try to do the traditional thing where, you know, the mom cooks. I know it's like, oh, you don't say that in 2021. But, you know, that was kind of the traditional way I was brought up. My mom always did the cooking. My dad did the grilling, um, but my mom typically did the cooking. And so we, we tried that. The problem was that she wouldn't get home till like 5.30 or 6. And I was starving at that time. And so I, I came up with the, okay, you know what? I'm going to break tradition. I'm going to start to cook. And so um, this was, you know, I'd never heard of Pinterest at that point in time. I mean, you're talking about 11 years ago. And so I, I was in a store, and I came across this book. And when I saw this book, I thought, yes. Listen, listen to the scripture. Okay, The Joy of Cooking. 500 new recipes, 4,000 of the most beloved joy classics retested and updated. 4,500 recipes in this book. 
Just, just put, wrap your head around it. 4,500 recipes. And so when I saw this book, I was like, I am going to be the best cook ever. I'm going to be completely awesome. My wife's going to brag about my cooking. Here's the problem. I've never even opened this book. I've never used it. I, I, I lied. I, I have opened it because I was like, oh, that looks really good. But I've never actually used this book because, you know, in our day and age, what do you do when you're going to cook something? You just Google it or look on the Internet or go to Pinterest or, you know, you find it on the web. Um, and so you don't actually need cookbooks anymore. And that's kind of the problem with cookbooks. Um, but I bring up cookbooks and my ability to cook. I think it's good, but um, you know, my kids remain fed, so they obviously like it at times is that in order to cook something or bake something, you have to know how to make it. And you have to know what goes into it. And you have to know the ingredients and all the steps to go in order to produce an edible type of food. And I bring that up because this morning our beatitude is the seventh beatitude. And it says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. So what this beatitude is requiring us to do is to make peace. So we have to know the recipes of making peace. But the problem with making peace is we have to know how does the Bible define what peace is. And so I don't know what comes to your mind when you think of the word peace. Uh, perhaps uh, you think of like beauty pageants where if you don't know the answer, it seems like they just say, well, I want world peace. Um, maybe you think of like the 60s with uh, hippies and President Nixon waving his hands Peace. Uh, maybe think about war coming to an end, or maybe you know when I hear peace, I always hear this deep voice say peace. You know that's kind of where my head goes. But um, I don't know what you think about peace. But A. McLaren writes in his exposition of Matthew, "No man can bring to others that which he does not possess." And what McLaren is arguing is that we cannot make peace or bring peace unless we actually have peace. And I would argue that we can't make peace unless we know how the Bible defines what peace is. And so the Bible tells us in this beatitude that if we don't know what peace is, therefore we can't make peace, then we will not be called sons of God. And that word sons in verse 9 is actually in the Greek is gender neutral. So it could be read as children. It's speaking of both sons and daughters. And so we're going to do two things this morning. We're going to ask the question, what is biblical peace? We're going to see how the Bible, how God defines what peace actually is. And then after we get that definition and what that looks like, we're going to ask, how do we do it as God's children? How do we become peacemakers? So our first question, what is biblical peace? The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 that God has called you to peace. The Bible instructs us numerous times to pursue peace and to strive for peace with everyone. In Psalms, we're told to seek and pursue peace. In Romans, it tells us that, so then let us pursue what makes for peace. In Romans chapter 12, it says, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And Jesus commands us in Matthew 9 to be at peace with one another. So obviously peace is important. But what is it? Well, in the Old Testament, the word for peace was shalom or shalom. So when an individual said shalom to another one, they would say it almost like how we say hello and goodbye today. They'd say shalom. What they were doing is they were, they were wishing the absence of trouble on another. They were wishing for the other individual's highest good in the presence of all good things. So when you come across peace in the Old Testament, the definition for that is for wholeness and harmony. Now for Jesus' audience, when they heard the word peace, 
They would have defined it in their culture as people who were at peace with one another because they worked together. They cared for one another. They helped each other. A.W. Pink writes that this beatitude has more to do with conduct than more to do with conduct than with character. And so in the New Testament, the word peace carries the meaning of joining together what is apart, to bridge the gap or to be a bridge maker. So this is how we're going to define peace. Ethan, you want to throw it up there? Living out the activity of wishing the absence of trouble by calling for harmony and wholeness on another so as to join together what is apart. That would be our biblical definition of peace. This means as a peacemaker, we can't sweep things under the rug. As a peacemaker, we can't look the other way. It does not allow us to say, hey, I won't bother you if you don't bother me. That's not being a peacemaker. It is not seeking for peaceful coexistence or simply saying that we're going to keep things at bay. And the hard thing about being a peacemaker is it does not allow us to cram our views down someone's throat. It does not permit us to bash someone or something through social media. Being a peacemaker forbids us from talking behind someone's back, and it does not allow us to belittle or talk down to someone. To be a peacemaker isn't a call to destroy our opposition. Rather, it is to befriend our opposition. As peacemakers, we may align ourselves with a particular group or, and wholeheartedly disagree with those who oppose that view or that group. But because we are peacemakers, we are called not to bash them or call them names. Instead, we are to look at that opposing view or that opposing group. And as a peacemaker, we seek to befriend them. We come alongside them. And I believe this is the one thing that the world struggles to see within the body of Christ. Because we have made our stand. And here's the thing, we should have convictions concerning God's word. We should have convictions about what God says about certain things in our society. But anyone who lives in opposition to our stand, we may struggle to understand it, but we have to look at them through the eyes and the heart of peace. And so if you just turn on the news, you can see that this is not the way the church is betrayed. This is not the way Christians are believed to act. When the LGBTQ community has a parade or some sort of event, what do we typically see from Christians on the news? They're on, their sign, on the sides with their picket signs and their posters with condemnation. When abortion clinics open or abortion law comes up to vote, what do we see of Christians? They're on the sidelines with their protests and their signs of condemnation. Now, the Bible does not condone homosexuality. It is not condoned bisexuality. It does not condone transgenders. But God's word also speaks to the sanctity of life. And the sanctity of life isn't just for the unborn. It's for all people who are made in the image of God. The homosexuals, the bisexuals, the transgenders, the unborn, the born, the Republicans, Democrats, independents, libertarians, Tea Partiers, even Bronco fans are made in the image of God. See, that's not a peacemaking statement, so I apologize if you're a Democrat. <laughs> so I have in my notes, I can hear Sean Tree's voice right now. 3-0, and baby. What's your team's record? And Chief's rebuttal is, yeah, but who have you played, right? <laughs> but see, those aren't peacemaking statements. And we can joke around about that. 
But we, we easily make statements that don't bring people together or stand in the gap. But what makes us all capable of being peacemakers is we become aware of an opposition or an opposing view. This may be a person, it may be a political view, it may be a lifestyle, it might be a false religion. It may just be a theory that someone holds. And so we become aware of it. And the initial response, the worldly response, is to roll our eyes, shake our heads. But peacemaking doesn't permit this. Because peacemaking does not allow us to cast judgment. Once we become aware of opposing view, what we have to do is we have to test it through Scripture. We have to go to the Word of God, and we have to say, okay, the way I feel about this, the way I'm responding in my heart to this situation, is this congruent with God's Word? Does it agree with God's Word? Because here's the thing we have to realize. In our culture and the way we were brought up, we may have views that don't match God's Word. It's just simply what we were taught. And so we cast judgment and we jump to conclusions simply by what we were taught or what we're raised up to believe. And we can see this in America when it comes to racism. There are people who are still devoted racist simply because someone in their life taught them to be that way. But as God's people, when we come across a view that we do not agree with, what we have to do is we have to test our view through the lens of Scripture. Does God's word agree with the way I am feeling about this, the way I am viewing this or seeing it? And if God's word does, here's what's happening. It means the Spirit of God is speaking to our hearts. It is revealing to us that something or someone is living outside of the will of God, which causes turmoil in our hearts to begin to bubble up, which is not a peaceful feeling. And a typical response, again, the worldly response when there's not peace, we roll our eyes, we talk to someone who will agree with our position. They will agree and they will affirm that we are right. We will shrug our shoulders. We'll even take it to the world wide web. And this is what the world sees when God's people respond this way. There is no difference in the children of God and the children of this world. When we respond that way, the people of this world, they may not be able to define it in those terms, but they're able to conclude the people who believe in God, the people who hold to God's word, the people who go to church are no different than the people who don't. Hence, they do not call us or recognize us as children of God because we respond, react, and do the same things that people who aren't. Now, I'm not trying to boast to myself, but... I have Bronco fans who are friends. Not just you, there's others around here. Campbells are around. I've even, I've even given Bronco fans hugs before. I have friends who are Raider fans. That took a lot of prayer, but I have friends that are Raider fans. To be a peacemaker, we may identify a sinful behavior or a view, and I'm not saying if you're a Bronco fan or Raider fan, you're sinful, but... But as a peacemaker, we have to look past the sin and see the individual who the Bible defines as is created in his own image in the image of God. We must see an individual that we were once like. The Bible reminds us in the book of Titus, we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. And what changed us? 
I guarantee what changed you, because what changed me, wasn't someone standing on a sidewalk holding up a poster of condemnation and judgment telling me I'm going to hell. I guarantee you it was not someone yelling at me that I was wrong. What changed me and what changed you, according to the Bible, is the goodness and loving kindness of God. We believed it and we were changed. And so the Bible says, for God so loved the world. It means God loves everyone. He loves everyone. And so we may see someone that we disagree with, but as a peacemaker, we have to remember, God loves them. Jesus died for them. Therefore, we as God's children must love them and seek to understand them. As a peacemaker, we must make ourselves their companion. Now, how different would the world look at the church if this is how they saw believers acting? Instead of judging and condemning, we came alongside groups that we wholeheartedly disagree with, but we sought to understand them. We loved them while they were in their sin and making sinful decisions. Just think about how much more of an ear would the world give the church if this is how they saw Christians behaving with people even in the midst of deep differences. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Now to be called a son of God means our character reveals, imitates, and equals our Heavenly Father. As children of God, we are to reflect the, we reflect the character of God because we carry out God-like works. The statement alone for Jesus' audience, just think about this, he's speaking to Jewish people. They believed they were children of God because they were born into the Abrahamic covenant. It was their birthright, but Jesus, even here in his early earthly ministry, is saying that this is not a birthright. He is pointing out that what makes us legitimate children of God is that we reflect the nature of God in our life. The Bible says, For God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. And Jesus is referred to as the Prince of Peace. And the Holy Spirit lives inside of us to give us peace with God. And who calls us children of God? It says, They shall be called children of God. Well, first off, God does. God sees the way that we act, the way that we react, and the way we treat people, and God from his throne room says, that's my kid. Because they make way for peace in order to pave the way to proclaim the gospel. Secondly, other believers call us children of God. They look at the way we act with others, and they say, yep, that one's a believer. And finally, the world will see our witness, and they will come to the conclusion there's something different about these people. And they may not fully understand it, but maybe you've heard it in questions from people who are not believers. Why do you do what you do? Why are you so different? Why are you even doing this? The world is to see us as different because we are God's people. And though they may not understand it, they see and experience the fruit of peace and are drawn to it wanting to know, what is that? What is so different about you? Here's our second question. How do we make peace? We're told to be peacemakers, so how do we make it? I'm going to give us four ways real quick. 
The first and easiest way I believe, and is one of the most overlooked, is the interceding peacemaker. What that means is we pray. We begin by praying for our own heart when we have a reaction to something we disagree with. We pray for our own heart that we would have peace about this situation and we can be used to love the individuals in that situation the way God loves them. Jesus commands us in Matthew chapter 5, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. The enemies, according to Scripture, are those who live opposed to the Word of God and they're set out on persecuting believers and persecuting the church. And so what is our response when the world persecutes us as believers and persecutes the church? Well, Jesus says right here, pray for them. In 1 Timothy, we're commanded to make supplication, prayer, intercessions, and thanksgiving for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. The Bible says when we pray for those who have views in opposition to what we believe and what God's Word says, when we pray for them, we actually receive peace by praying for them. So as God's people, we have to pray for those who don't know God or God's Word, and they live outside of God's will, because here's the thing, as God's people, we are the ones with access to God on their behalf. And so we are praying for them. We're going to fill in the gap and stand in the gap, and lift them up in prayer, and pray for our own heart. The Bible says, those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. That's Psalm 126.5. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. And here's the question. This is what really convicted me this week. When was the last time that we prayed in tears over a politician we disagreed with? When was the last time we were broken in tears because of the homosexual, transgender, and bisexual community? When was the last time we were in tears for someone who's feeling the pressure and temptation to have an abortion and we prayed in tears over them? My confession has rarely happened in my life. And so God has brought me to a place that has got to change because I've done exactly what the world expects me to do I disagree with them. I churn it off. I just cancel it from my mind. As peacemakers, we can't live this way. The Bible doesn't permit it. The second thing, how we make peace, is the individual's peacemaker. In the Old Testament, Moses stood in the gap between God and God's people. He received the law and delivered it to to God's people. He also stood in the gap by praying for God's people, even though at times they drove him completely bonkers. Numerous times in, in Scripture, God tells us that we are to live peaceably with one another. And this isn't just with people we would agree with or even with other believers, but peaceably with all people. But you and I are a lot alike, a lot like this world. We have no problem being at peace with people that we agree with. Um, we should be living at peace with other believers. Here's the if you have anything against another believer, it actually is hindering you from worshiping God. And the Bible says if you have anything against another believer, you have to take that first before you come into God's presence. You're not even permitted to take of the Lord's Supper if you have something against another believer. And so God is very strict about us being at peace with our brothers and sisters in Christ. But we're also called to be at peace with all people because this is what 
thus allows us to be recognized as God's people. So here's the pushback. What about those people who are completely impossible to deal with or be around? Anybody have any of those in your life? Here's some good news. God, through his word, gives us instructions on how to deal with those types of people. I'm serious. Ethan, throw Romans up there real quick. Romans chapter 12, verse 18. It says, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And here's what God is, is telling us. Three things just in this one verse about being at peace with people who are completely impossible to be at peace with. First thing he says, if possible. God says and is telling us that he understands there are going to be people and parties and platforms which we will not be able to cooperate, cooperate with, we will not be able to agree with, and we will not be able to join together with because their eyes are closed, their hearts are hard, and their ears only want to be itched by what they want to hear. So God says, if possible, understanding that I understand there are going to be times it's not going to be possible. But then he goes on. He says, so far as it depends on you. So he's telling us that, yeah, I understand there's going to be some, but you, as my child, must make every effort and always do your part to make peace. No exception. Finally, he says, live peaceably with all. And what God is doing here is he is telling us he does not give us permission, nor do we have the authority to choose who we're going to be at peace with. So if possible, sometimes it's not going to be, but as far as it depends on you, you must make every effort to be at peace with all people. You don't get to pick. So we are to be peacemakers. And this is between us and another individual. This might be done by seeking forgiveness. It might be done by giving forgiveness. It might be done by granting grace. Understanding if someone has done you wrong, well, you've probably done someone else wrong in your life as well. We come along two parties, maybe, in disagreement, and we stand in the gap as a neutral party to bring peace. Third way is the ecclesiology peacemaker. That's a fun word. Ecclesiology means the doctrine of the church. The church is not built by cement. It's not built by brick. It's not built by steel or wood. The church is built when God's people gather together in the name of God to bring glory to God. That's what builds the church. So this sort of peacemaking we're referring to is between believer and believer. We've mentioned numerous times in 2020, America saw the largest exodus from the church. Part of that was due to lockdown restrictions, but the issue that has come about now that churches are able to gather again, God's people are able to come together again and worship in a building, is that many have not returned to the body of Christ. This is the issue. And so as an ecclesiology peacemaker, I understand I'm, I'm kind of preaching to the crowd because you're at church this morning, but as an ecclesiology peacemaker, we are charged to join together what is apart. And what is apart? God's people not gathering in God's bride to form God's body to worship God. It is unbiblical. We have to be people of the word, right? 
Amen? It is unbiblical to say that we are in Christ, yet have no desire to be in the body of Christ. Unbiblical. You cannot look in the pages of Scripture and see anybody in the New Testament having that mindset. And you have to keep in mind, they were in the midst of heavy persecution, even the threat of death, yet we find the people of God gathering to form the church. This is a call when we see someone who isn't at church. So look around. Do you, you know, I don't want to know their names, but if you, do you see someone who isn't here this morning? Okay, thank you. <laughs> this is a call when we see someone who isn't here. It's a call when we see someone who hasn't been here in a while or someone who has stopped going to church altogether to go to them and to join them back to what they have separated themselves from. And I've heard the reasons for not coming back to church. I'm sure you have too. I've had many conversations with people that, about church, about coming back to church. But if there's someone in the realm of your influence and they have not come back to church, then this is what I want you to do. I got to say this in the most calm way I possibly can. I've been praying God to give me peace about saying this, but I've got it. I've got peace. This is what I want you to do. If someone says, Well, I haven't come back to church because I just feel it's not safe with COVID and all that. First thing I want you to do, I want you to look at your brother, sister of Christ in the eye. Maybe you want to grab their hand. I don't know. Say, I understand. Okay? We're not, we're not condemning, we're not judging. Just, I want you to tell them, I understand. I understand your apprehension. And then as their peacemaker, because they're in your realm of influence, here's what I want you to do. Because you understand you're going to be their peacemaker and you want to be at peace with them, I want you to tell them, from now on, I want you to give me your grocery list. And from now on, I want you to give me your kids' or grandkids' schedule of activities. And I want you to tell me where you're planning on going vacation this next year. And then I want you to tell them, you are going to have to give me the money, and I'm going to go to the grocery store and shop for you. And I promise you, this is what you're telling them, I'm going to take so many pictures in so many videos of your kids or your grandkids' activities, it's going to fill my cloud storage. And I'm not going to take any selfies when I go on vacation. Remember, you've got to give me the money to go on your vacation. I won't take selfies or pictures of my family. I will just take pictures of everything I see, and I will journal until my hand hurts to describe in as much detail what you would have seen if you would have gone there. But since it's not safe to go to church, it definitely is not safe for you to go to grocery store. It definitely is not safe for you to go to your kids' sporting events or activities. And it definitely is not safe for you to go somewhere on vacation where you're going to come into contact with people who are coming from hot states. And so since I am your peacemaker, I'm going to stand in the gap so you don't have to live in this fear. But when you're ready to go back to church, then you can go grocery shopping, then you can go to sporting events, and then you can go on vacation. If there's someone in your realm of influence who is telling you they will come back to church when it is safe, or when everything calms down, then I want you to be their peacemaker. 
It is unbiblical, unbiblical for someone to say they are in Christ but are not in the body. And if you don't want to do that, (laughs) then I just want you to grab their hand, look them in the eye, and have a heart-to-heart conversation. Why haven't you come back to church? Why aren't you there? We miss you. The body misses you. Sometimes peacemakers have to be blunt or they won't be heard. The final way is the eternal peacemaker. Daniel Akin writes, Peacemaking will have evangelism as its first priority. Helping make peace with man and God through the proclamation of the gospel. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're told that if therefore if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us. That word reconciled means brought us back into harmony, brought us to peace to himself, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting us with the message of reconciliation. Reconciliation is peacemaking. It means a restoration of friendly relationships and of peace where before there was, had been hostility and alienation. We have been commissioned by Christ, commanded by God, and empowered by the Holy Spirit to proclaim the gospel the ministry of reconciliation with the message of reconciliation. And we can go back to Romans 12, that verse we did about if if possible. So far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. We can use this when it comes to proclaiming the gospel. The greatest peace any individual can have or attain is a peace with God which only comes through faith in Jesus Christ. That is the greatest peace anybody can ever have. Now how Romans 12 helps us as an eternal peacemaker is even if people do not want to hear the gospel, this does not excuse us as God's children from sharing the gospel. So they may, I'm done hearing about it. I don't want to hear about it. You may be ridiculed, persecuted, told to shut up. That does not give you or I any excuse to stop proclaiming it. And we talk about all sorts of things, don't we? We talk about the weather. We talk about politics. Talk about Trump, talk about Biden, COVID, we talk about theories. I guess now the new things talk about UFOs. We talk about sports, we talk about Stratford sports, we talk about our kids' sports, we talk about marriage and food and our kids and our job. Here's the thing as God's people, we should never let what we talk about be more or louder. I have more conviction than what God has commanded us to proclaim. We are ministers of reconciliation with the message of reconciliation. One commentator writes, The first thing to be done to make men at peace with one another and with themselves is to rectify the relation to God and bring peace there. 
If a man go and carry to men the great message of a reconciled and a reconciling God manifested in Jesus Christ and bringing peace between men and God, he will have done more to sweeten society and put an end to hostility that I think he will be likely to do by any other method. Another commentator wrote, The heralds of the cross are the ambassadors of peace. Our God is set on making reconciliation, making peace with sinful man. And his instrument to do that are his children. To be peacemakers is to present the prince of peace against the prince of this world. Joe Man writes, the peacemakers are they who are at work reconciling people to God. So now it's time for heart examination. How much of a peacemaker are we? Are we lifting up those that we disagree with in prayer? Are we interceding on their behalf? Would people say that we live peaceably with all people? Has God brought someone into your life who is not at peace with someone else to which you need to stand in the gap as a neutral party in order to bring peace? Are we reaching out to our brothers and sisters in Christ who are missing from the body of Christ? Finally, are we sharing good news with those who need to hear it? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. One more question this morning. Are you reconciled to God through Jesus? You cannot have the peace that God promises in Scripture unless you have the peace of Christ ruling in your heart. So the question may be for you. Have you asked God forgiveness for your sins? And have you told God that you know he loves you and that Jesus Christ died for your sins and he rose again that you could be forgiven and be given, be given eternal life? And have you confessed that belief in your heart in public that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? If you have yet to do that, we're going to come to a time of invitation and I'm going to ask you to come down here I say, Pastor Mike, I have not done that, and I want to be forgiven, and I want to be saved. We'll pray together. We'll talk together. We'll celebrate together. We'll make sure that you understand what that means. Maybe here is God's child. God is speaking to you and saying, you know what, there are, in revealing, there are people in your life that you don't have peace with, or you're not being a peacemaker for them. And so God is commissioning you here in a moment when we leave this place to go and be that peacemaker. We're going to pray. I'm going to ask Jackson to come up and lead us. And if you need to come down and accept Jesus, I'm going to invite you to come. I'll be standing right here. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for my brothers and sisters in Christ who are here. I thank you for those who aren't here. I know there are some who are sick and are battling with things. I know there are some who are just away, um, being refreshed. But Lord, thank you. You've given us this incredible calling. And then you give us your spirit so that we might produce the fruit of peace out of our life so that people would look at us and know we belong to you. Father, let us be different. Let us fall to our knees in tears and pray over those that we disagree with. Father, let us be your people, not people of this world. Lord, I thank you that you know that we all fall short. 
And I thank you that you are forgiving us for past, present, and future. I thank you that you're transforming us and sanctifying us for your glory. Father, we want to be a people that brings you glory and brings peace. This time of invitation, Lord, we ask that you continue to work on our hearts. Father, we would not just be hearers of your word, if we just heard your word, but now we would be doers, we would apply it. And if there's anyone here this morning that's not known you as your Lord and Savior, or is just even unsure, Father, give them the courage and the strength to come down and to confess you as their Lord and Savior. pray this time would be a, a pleasing time to you of worship, that it would be in spirit and truth. And we pray this on the name of Jesus Christ.